Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast, the brand new appearance podcast brought to you by the Centre for Appearance Research, a world-leading research centre based at the University of the West of England in Bristol, investigating everything related to how we look. I'm Nadia. And I'm Nicola. And this is episode four. In our first three episodes, we have introduced the Centre for Appearance Research, spoken about the forthcoming Appearance Matters 7 conference taking place in London this June, and talked with one of our amazing co-directors here at CAR, Professor Diana Harcourt. If you missed any of these previous episodes, go back and have a listen. Also, as we are a new podcast on iTunes, it'd be really helpful to us if you could take a minute to rate us and leave a review. You can also subscribe to be sure you don't miss any future episodes. Today we're going to be talking about appearance in public health, and I'm super excited because our guest on today's podcast is Harvard Public Health Professor Bryn Austin. We'll also be talking briefly about rapid communication posters as an option for sharing breaking research that is still in progress. In recent years, appearance, or more specifically body image, has been recognised as an important public health concern. In 2011, the UK government set up an all-party parliamentary group on body image to better understand the causes and impact of body image dissatisfaction and to explore what can be done to promote and enhance healthy body image. Several members of CAR contributed to the report published by this all-party parliamentary group, which found that body image dissatisfaction is pervasive among the British public, and is a contributory factor in poor mental well-being, eating disorders, obesity, low aspirations, and a range of risky behaviours, including drug and alcohol abuse, self-harm and unsafe sex, especially among women and girls. Other countries are also starting to pay greater attention to body image as a matter of public health. You may have heard that France recently passed legislation to ban ultra-thin female fashion models, joining Spain and Israel, who have already passed similar bills. Professor Bryn Austin is an award-winning researcher, teacher and mentor at Harvard School of Public Health. She is the director of the Strategic Training Initiative for the Prevention of Eating Disorders, otherwise known as STRIPED, and is the director of fellowship research training in the Division of Adolescent and Young Adult Medicine at Boston Children's Hospital. She is a social epidemiologist and behavioural scientist, and a unifying goal of her academic career has been to advance innovations in transdisciplinary science applied to eating disorders prevention, and the study of health inequalities adversely affecting sexual minority and transgender youth. Welcome, Bryn, to Appearance Matters, the podcast. Can you start by telling me why you think appearance and body image is relevant to the field of public health? Well, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm delighted to be able to talk to you today and to talk to folks at the Centre. Uh, appearance and body image are matters of public health in a way I think is really straightforward. The magnitude of the population health burden is increasingly clear. This can be measured in quality of life, years of life lost, increased health care costs, reduced uh, education, employment, income, really more. And this burden is clearly a result of the impacts of eating disorders, body dysmorphic disorder, and more broadly, all types of conditions and health risk behaviors that body dissatisfaction drives. Then on top of this, the stigma and discrimination meted out in so many societies are stark and devastating. Often this discrimination targets people who are marginalized, usually people with visible differences from those who hold power in society because of their size, 
their gender non-conforming expression, ethnic diversity, or even just for being female. The collusion of these forces creates vast health disparities and public health calamities. There's really no ambiguity here. Body image and appearance really need to be front and center in public health. Mm -hmm. Wow, wonderful. Thank you for such a full answer there. That was really, um, really great. So I guess I'm interested um, in finding out how you first got involved in this work. So what first drew you to a career in public health and and maybe more specifically about um, focusing on this topic? Sure. Well, I I really always been fascinated with science, even as a kid, Mm -hmm. doing experiments and and wanting to learn about all different areas of science uh, back when I was little. And then Eventually, in college, I thought that meant I would have to go into medicine or I'd have to go into biological bench research. But neither of these really resonated for me because I was also very passionate about social justice issues, especially focused on feminist advocacy, LGBT rights, and anti-racist work. Luckily, I eventually discovered the field of public health, which I really had not heard of until years after I finished college. Uh, I I had I've certainly been a beneficiary of public health and seen the work of it, but I didn't know that the field existed mm-hmm. as, a, as a field of study. But it turns out that that's a perfect way to bring my interests together through scientific study of illness and well-being with the goal of achieving health equity across communities. So public health turned out to be the perfect field for bringing it all together for me. Um, My interest in eating disorders prevention coalesced when I was in my doctoral studies. I saw it as a way to meld the feminist scholarship that I'd been doing and gender analysis with the tools I was learning anew in public health grad school. I wanted to better understand and hopefully help to solve a health problem that was clearly very serious, but also vastly under-recognized in my new field. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. That's that's really, really interesting to hear. So... Have has there been anyone anyone in particular or that that's kind of inspired your work or been significant in in getting to where you are today? Absolutely, the most important person, an early role model, is most definitely Diane Neumark-Steiner of University mm-hmm. of Minnesota. When I was in grad school in the late nineteen nineties, she was really one of the only people based in public health who was doing consistently cutting edge work in eating disorders prevention. And I'm sure over the years, Diane has probably launched thousands of careers of junior people just like me who look to her as a luminary and a role model. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay, yeah, I've, I mean, I've read a lot of her, her work, especially with related to Project EAT, so it's nice to see how my role models all kind of fit together as well, so that's that's really neat. Okay, so let's move on, and can you speak a little bit about your current research? Sure, well, let's see, there's really so many projects that I'm excited about, but one of our projects that is top of the queue these days is our Mm -hmm. legal research and policy evaluation research focused on the fashion industry. This industry and the distorted, unrealistic, even toxic images of women's bodies that it saturates our media with have long been criticized by eating disorders and body image specialists and feminist scholars and advocates more broadly. Uh, They're really so damaging uh, to the psyches of and the health of girls and women and to society as a whole. This critical discourse has been around a long time, but real change in the fashion industry, that's been harder to come by. So a couple of years ago, my colleague, Catherine Record, who is a health law specialist, proposed to me that we try a different tact. And that was to approach the issue as one of occupational health and safety for the girls and women, and sometimes men, who work as professional models. 
These are people, and often young teens actually, working under horrifically inhumane circumstances. Conditions that truthfully amount to coerce, starvation, and in the cases of minors, arguably abuse of child laborers. So Catherine and I carried out a legal research study with the help of an extraordinary student from the Harvard Law School, Samantha Glover, to examine the legal and regulatory precedent for U.S. federal authorities to be able to step in and enforce existing occupational health and safety regulations. Really, we're looking for ways to, to protect the health of these girls and young women and put an end to the coerced starvation in modeling. And we see government as having an important role in that. We just published our, our policy brief mm-hmm. in the American Journal of Public Health last month that, that walked through our legal argument, and that got a lot of traction in the press, which was great. So now we're working with our collaborator, Rachel Rogers, at Northeastern University in Boston and others who bring in additional legal and occupational health expertise to move on to the next stage of the research. So we're examining the working conditions of models and more legal avenues for enforcing protections. And we're preparing to evaluate some of the intriguing new law and policy changes in France on the national Mm -hmm. level, in the U.S. and elsewhere that are targeting the fashion industry. The potential here I see as huge, not only for mitigating the immediate danger of eating disorders and other health risks and exploitation of the models themselves, but also ultimately to reduce the toxicity of the images of girls and women that the industry is turning out into the world through the mass media. Great. Thank you so much. That's super. The next question is, what do you enjoy most about your work? Oh, that's an easy one. My collaborators and the students (laughs) Uh who I work with, such brilliant people. They're so dedicated and hardworking and creative, too, despite how hard they work. So passionate about the work and compassionate, and this is really important to me, Mm -hmm. compassionate about the people and the communities who we see ourselves as ultimately serving. I consider myself really the luckiest person on the planet to get to work with such extraordinary colleagues and students. Well, that's such a lovely answer. Thank you for that. So, Bryn, you're one of our um, three keynote speakers at the Appearance Matters 7 conference taking place this June. Can you tell me what, what you're going to be doing at the conference and how you got involved? Yes, I was delighted to be invited to give a keynote address for the upcoming Appearance Matters conference. For my keynote, I'll be presenting new ideas for how we can accelerate our progress in preventing body dissatisfaction, specifically through policy translation, research, and training. We have decades of prevention trial research, some of it achieving impressive successes. But at the same time, even when they're shown effective, they are rarely ever scaled up and disseminated in the real world to to get to real people. Also, a lot of the prevention approaches tested so far have been targeting the individual or at the individual level. And that may be kids, it may be teens, it may be adults. Uh, But the goal is almost always is to make them more resilient in the socially toxic environment that we all live in. But what this means is that the approaches don't attempt to make change in the larger social conditions that produce the risk in the first place. As a field, we need to aim higher. We need to take on the Goliaths. And that's Mm -hmm. the fashion industry, mass media, diet products and cosmetic surgery industries and more. To use a parallel from um, environmental work and climate change movements, these are our oil and coal industries. And through policy translation, I'll talk about in my keynote, through policy translation, research and training, we will be able to target the biggest polluters of our social environment. In addition to the keynote, I'm also going to be leading a workshop on how to use techniques of strategic negotiation, 
which is, comes out of the Harvard Negotiation Project uh, from a few decades ago, to build partnerships with obesity prevention researchers. Too often we're speaking past each other with one side talking on and on about how dire the obesity epidemic is and the other side responding that eating disorders can't be lost in the frenzy over obesity and really not talking together or strategizing together. But we have so many interests in common. If we can better understand the other professionals' perspectives and where they're coming from on issues, we'll be able to accomplish so much more together. So in the workshop, we'll learn about the really practical and simple steps of strategic negotiation as a, as a technique with work, for working with other people and how we can use them to build valuable relationships with obesity professionals. And really the techniques we cover are, can be applied in any setting and even at home in negotiating over uh, dinner or over what vacation to take um, down, down to that level too. Um, and then also professionally in all kinds of relationships. And we're going to focus on working with obesity professionals. Great. I think that'll be so useful. So I just have one more question for you, and this one is a fun one. So every Tuesday at the Centre for Appearance Research, we hold a kind of informal cake and coffee morning, and all the members of the team take it in turns to bring in cakes or sweet treats. So I'd like to ask if you were attending and it was your turn to bring cakes, uh, what cake would you bring and would you bake it yourself? Oh my gosh, that's so lovely. <laughs> I definitely want to be at one of your, your morning socials. I would most definitely bring a Boston cream pie, which actually oh. does hail from right here in uh -huh. Boston. And legend has it it was invented by an Armenian French chef for a Boston hotel back in the mid-1800s, so it's been around. It's a delicious combination of French butter sponge cake with rum-inspired pastry cream and all topped with a thin layer of chocolate fondant. It's divine. Oh, yum. And would you make it or do you buy it? Well, truth <laughs> be told, I'm much better at eating Boston cream pie than baking it. So no doubt I'd have to bake several or probably more than several to make sure I could get one that was good enough that I dare <laughs> offer at one of your delightful morning socials. Okay, great answer. And um, you're always welcome at our car coffee morning. Okay, Brinson, that's it. So you've been the best. Thank you so much. That was Professor Bryn Austin speaking to Nadia on the phone from her office in Boston. We now want to talk for a few minutes about rapid communication posters and their place at the Appearance Matters Conference, as we're soon going to be accepting poster submissions. A rapid communication poster is a visual representation of your research findings. Rapid communication posters are a great way to share in-progress or late-breaking findings. So if your research is not yet ready to be part of a more formal conference presentation, a poster is a great way to share and promote your work, also to receive valuable feedback from the experts, and of course to be actively involved in the conference. At the conference, posters will be on display during one of two dedicated poster sessions scheduled in the conference programme. This will give delegates plenty of opportunity to view your work. During these sessions, you will be near your poster so that conference delegates can speak to you about your work. One thing that I find can work quite well is to print out several A4 copies of your poster for delegates to take away with them. For your poster to have maximum impact, it's important that your poster is concise, easy to read and simple to follow. Make sure the content is structured logically and each section is clearly labelled. Images and plenty of white space also make the poster visually appealing and accessible. Choose sans sign of fonts and keep the number of different fonts you use to a minimum. 
Before we wrap up, a quick reminder that the deadline for abstract submissions for oral presentations for the Appearance Matters 7 conference is on Friday, the 22nd of January, and that rapid communications posters will become open for submission the following day on January 23rd. More information can be found on the conference website. Early bird registration is open until March 31st, so to register or find out more about the Appearance Matters conference, click the link in our bio. Is that everything? I think, for now. Okay, well, thank you so much for listening to this fourth episode of Appearance Matters, the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Remember to uh, rate us and leave us a review on iTunes if you did. Yes, and finally, we just want to thank the Appearance Matters conference sponsors, the Healing Foundation, the University of the West of England, and now also the Dove Self-Esteem Project. Cool, and a big thanks to our guest, Professor Bryn Austin, for talking with us today, and to David Insacow for our cool theme music. <laughs>